Good morning, everybody. Let's talk about Jesus. The greatest name, the greatest life the world has ever known, Jesus Christ. John MacArthur said it's one perfect life. John MacArthur called him this in his book. I highly recommend this book. I'm a teacher, I recommend books. Let's look at this, that one solitary life. He never owned a home, he never wrote a book. He never held an office, he never had a family. He never went to college, he had no credentials but himself. His friends ran away, one even denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mock trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave. After three days, he came out of that grave. Nineteen centuries have come and gone. Of all the armies that ever marched, of all the navies that were ever built, of all the parliaments that ever sat, of all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of men upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Amen. You say amen, Tex? Amen. You can be hollering at me, Tex? All right, man. Amen. This is a wet up. I'm sorry, I missed a slide. Yeah. This is my first run. This is dress rehearsal for you folks. This is a website I created for my classes. If you go to this website, BibleTech.com, click on that Life of Christ button, that will take you to the one solitary life that I just read. Of course, it'll be there without my edits. I shortened it for you. But there are more resources from the study of the Life of Christ on there as well. I also want to point out that on the little worship bulletin that you have, there's a little outline for today. So with that, let's buckle up, let's bow our heads, and let's pray for the Lord to bless us today. Oh, Father, we bow our hearts before you. We thank you for this life lived, for this life given, for this life raised to glory, all on our behalf. May our hearts yearn to learn of him, to make him real, to be like him, to look forward to his coming. I'll be in Mark chapter 1 today. Uh, I use the ESV, the, that's the Pew Bible. I guess we'd call that the under-the-seat Bible, wouldn't we? So. But first, let's look at this. Click. There we go. Let's look at this. Jesus lived in a real time. Jesus lived in a real place. And we can map the timeline of his life. Now, his ministry starts in obscurity... And it's marked by a rising popularity during about the first two and a half years of his ministry. He's also presenting himself to the nation as the anointed one. So we call this the public presentation of his life. Now, he did not endear himself to everyone. Much to the dismay of Annas, who was the corrupt and Roman-appointed high priest, Jesus closed down the Passover marketplace on the first Passover of his ministry, right about here. 
He went in there and he disrupted that entire uh, marketplace on the Passover season. Now, you have to understand, Passover was the biggest source of income for the year for Annas and his family. And Jesus closed it down. Now think of this. What if Jesus went to New York City on December 1st and said, no more Christmas. Close all the stores. Can you imagine the economic impact that would have on our country? How popular would he be with the ruling authorities? Now that Passover in 30 AD, Jesus said, shut it down. Get out. This is my Father's house. A house of prayer for all the nations. In essence, he's saying, I am the Lord of this temple. And from that day forth, Annas hated Jesus. Now, Annas is the head of the government. Annas is in charge of the temple. Annas is the leader of the Sadducees. They are the priests of the temple. Jesus now has a powerful enemy. But the Pharisees, ah, the Pharisees, they loved this. They loved him. This new rabbi, this Jesus, he does what we are afraid to do. So you have these two opposing political forces, these two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, locked in mortal hatred for each other. One group sees Jesus as an enemy of the state. The other group, the champion of the people. So we come today to this first push into the region of Galilee, which is the light blue shaded area on the timeline, brings us up to about the time of the second Passover. And this is what I call the first tour. Since the first Passover in Jerusalem, his popularity is steadily growing. But after this tour, his popularity takes a huge leap to a level that I call rock star popularity. Here's where we are, geographically. This is the city Jesus has chosen for his home, and his home base is Capernaum. And from Capernaum, he will reach the entire nation over the next 12 months. This yellow band is the area, of the band should be a little bigger than that. The whole northern rim of the Galilean ministry is where he is going to preach. The whole northern rim of the Galilean shore. And he's going to go out and he's going to proclaim himself Lord of the temple. At the first Passover, remember, he said, this is my father's house. That's the Lord God's house. He's given authority to me. The premise that underlies all that he says and does in his ministry is, I am the Lord of the temple. If you take your Bible and turn to Mark 121, that's page 836 in the ESV Bible. Let's start there. Let's read that. Verse 21, chapter 1. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. It's in this verse Mark sets the agenda. 
First, he establishes the authority of Jesus by what he says. He teaches directly from the scriptures, not quoting the opinions of other rabbis. Next, he establishes the authority of Jesus by what he does. And by what he does, he shows that he has authority over demons. That's Mark 1.23. Authority over demons. This is evil we can't see. Verse 23, just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Now, he may have been there week after week in their midst, but the demon stays hidden until today. Then in verse 24, the demon cries out. He says, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows him. He even knows where he's from. Not just Nazareth, but from God. The, Jesus, in verse 25, Jesus rebukes him. He says, be quiet, come out of him. He throws the man. It says, throwing him into convulsions. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and he came out of him. They were all amazed. They debated among themselves. They said, what is this? This new kind of teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They hear his authority. They see his authority, but they don't understand his authority. But they sure talk about it. Look at verse 28. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere and all the surrounding district of Galilee. So he has authority over diseases. We find that out next. That's in verse 29, even before he goes out. It says, immediately after they came out of the synagogue... They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her as she waited on them. Now this is a rather private event. This isn't public. This is in Peter's house. In terms of miracles, not that spectacular. People do recover from fevers. But this was instant recovery. She got up, she got busy. I did obstetric anesthesia in uh, Indianapolis in my non-retirement years. I would be called generally three in the morning to go to a room to do an epidural on a poor young lady who would be writhing in the worst pain she'd ever experienced. And only about half of you in this room understand what kind of pain that is. I would go in, I would place the epidural, I would get her comfortable. She would feel that instant relief as those drugs washed over her spinal cord. And she'd say, oh man, that's a miracle. I'd say, no, that's not a miracle. It's just technology. Now resurrection... That's a miracle. Amen. Yeah, text. That sometimes would lead to a discussion about Jesus. Now, yeah, moving on. Let's go to verse 32. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered at the door. See how this popularity is beginning to spread. The word spreads. I can hear it. There's a new doctor in town, and he can heal anybody. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And they know 
what he can do to them. The demons believe and tremble. And Jesus does not want their witness. Jesus does not want his name associated with demonic powers. He silences them. Look at verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Before anybody else is awake, in the dark, Jesus is praying. But you know what? He's not alone. He's talking with his Father. He has a plan. He seeks the Father's blessing. He receives the Holy Spirit's leading. Now Simon and his companions, they finally get up. They start looking for him. In verse 36, it says they find him and they say to him, everybody's looking for you. You know what they mean by that? There's still a lot of sick people here. Verse 38, he said to them, no, let's go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I can preach there also. That is what I came for. This is the first tour beginning. I want to preach. Verse 39, he went out into these villages, into these towns, throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. He overcomes the opposition that is, that is the unseen world, the demonic world. We don't see it. Who could have thought that demons are right in the synagogues where the people worshipped, where the rabbis taught, now cast out of the synagogues? Because, see, Jesus has authority over the outcasts. Look at verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus early in the tour, early in this push into northern Galilee. Mark makes an incredible statement here. A leper came to Jesus. Now this leper is either reckless or insane. A leper is the ultimate outclassed. You are unclean. You are cast out of the temple, the priest said. You are under the judgment of God. You are cast out of the synagogues, the rabbis said. Because they did not believe that leprosy was just a disease. It was a judgment from God himself. The worst kind of judgment. A living death. Complete separation from normal society. Could a leper be healed by a doctor? No. Could a leper be cured by a priest? No. Only by God. Now, the rabbis also taught that when Messiah came, he would heal lepers. So the nation would know that he is the one. Now, lepers were feared, lepers were hated. Their uncleanness could spread. So they were isolated. They lived apart. They lived in shame. They lived in squalor. They were hideous. They were disfigured. They were disgusting to look at. The leper walks toward Jesus. Now, there was a rule. No leper could come within six feet of a clean person. Some rabbis said, no, 20 feet. Lepers went along the roads and in the markets. They covered their faces. They shouted, unclean, unclean, stay back. If a leper got within six feet of you, you became unclean for at least three days. 
Some rabbis would not allow a leper within a hundred feet of them. One rabbi wrote this, If the wind is blowing, stay 150 feet, lest the dust of the leper would blow on you. If a leper went into a house, the house was burned. The rabbis, if a leper came too close to a rabbi, the rabbi would burn his clothes. The rabbis then carried rocks into the marketplace. And if they thought a leper was getting too close, they would throw the rocks at the leper. The hardness of heart is unimaginable in these men. The leper walks toward Jesus. He's getting closer. People are backing away. The disciples are thinking, doesn't he know that Jesus is a rabbi? Were they perhaps looking for stones to throw? Jesus stands there. He waits. Verse 40 says that the leper is beseeching him. The leper is begging him. He falls on his knees. I can imagine him crying, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Not just healed, but clean. He's kneeling there. Jesus looks down at him. It says in verse 41 that he was moved with compassion. He had great feeling. He didn't find him disgusting. He touched him. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. Jesus touched him. The rabbi's reaction? Absolutely horrified. The disciples' reaction? Oh, great, now Jesus is unclean. (laughs) But no. Jesus turns everything upside down. When the Lord of the temple touches the unclean, the unclean things become clean. Nothing can defile Jesus. Jesus makes the defiled clean. Verse 41, Jesus says to him, he says, I'm willing. I'm willing to cleanse you. Be cleansed. He declares him clean. In verse 42, immediately, the leprosy left him. That means no more disease. But Jesus said more than that. Jesus said, be cleansed. That means you are no longer an outcast. He can go home to his family. He can go to his house. He can even go to the temple. In fact, Jesus sends him to the temple with a warning. In verse 43, Jesus sternly warned him and immediately sent him away, saying, See that you say nothing to anyone, but you go, you show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Why would Jesus say, don't tell anybody? Well, there's two reasons for this. Jesus wants this to be official. Be obedient to the law of Moses and to the laws of the temple. The man will have no credibility No testimony until a priest in the temple examines him and pronounces him clean. This is a clean bill of health. It says no leprosy exists here. That's the duty of the temple priest. Jesus is not a temple priest. Jesus is Lord of the temple priests. Jesus is Lord of the temple. Therefore, The more important reason is that I want to give you a testimony to them. To whom? To the temple priests, many of whom hate Jesus. He doesn't hate them. He wants to save them. 
He wants them to see this man who can tell them, I was a leper and Jesus healed me. The rabbi said, only Messiah can do that. Does he obey Jesus? You see in verse 45, he doesn't obey. He went out and began to proclaim it freely to spread the news all around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from any, everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. He can heal lepers. You have to remember, all other diseases pale in comparison to this. And everyone, the multitudes, the people, they're talking. No more sickness. No more death. Jesus is a rock star. Everybody wants to get next to him. He can no longer move freely. At that point, he goes back to Capernaum. His tour is over. And here's the thing. All those people he healed, they all died of something else. So that makes us ask, but what about the heart? Isn't there an uncleanness and a disfigurement on the inside of man even more hideous than leprosy? Aren't people walking around dead in their sins? This is where Jesus shows that he has authority over the heart. Josh, want to bring that up? There it is. This is about a paralytic. What this says is that we are helpless. Look at Mark 2, verse 1. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many gathered there. and There was no room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Notice he's teaching the Bible. Four men came carrying a paralyzed man on a pallet. They were bringing him to Jesus. Obviously, they were bringing him to be healed of his paralysis. But they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. So it says in verse 4, they tore the roof off. They dug an opening. They lowered the pallet down in front of Jesus. Jesus, it says in verse 5, sees their faith. I call it determination. They believe Jesus can heal their friend. Man, you think about it, to have friends like that. Friends who will carry you to Jesus in spite of the opticals, the obstacles, even tear a roof off to get you to Jesus. And he trusted his friends. I mean, think about it. He's on a pallet. They're juggling him up, getting him up on a roof. Then they put some ropes around the pallet. They lower him down through the hole that they've just made. Thunk. He hits the floor right in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at him and sees him. But Jesus sees what isn't obvious. He's obviously paralyzed. Jesus sees right into his heart. And in verse 5, look at verse 5 again. Jesus seeing their faith. Here's what he said. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now I have to wonder what this young man, or if he's a young man, if he's thinking, but Jesus, I came to be healed. I can't walk. At the same time, some scribes are thinking, if you look at verse 7, some scribes are thinking, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Exactly. <laughs> they have it right. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus is distracted by what they're thinking. In verse 8, he says, why are you reasoning these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, he says in verse 9, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. Both are really easy to say. I just said both things. But which one is harder to fix? So here this man is. He's laying on the floor while this argument's going on over his head. You know, hey, like I'm right here. I'd like to be healed. I mean, like my friends, they tore the roof off. But see, something much greater has happened here. Verse 10. Here it is. But so, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the hard thing. I'll do the easy thing in verse 11. I'll do it. I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, go home. Only God can forgive sins. Scribes, you're right. And the Son of Man can forgive sins. It's all about authority. I am God. I am Lord. This is not blasphemy. This is truth. I find it interesting that the wording here is this man was lowered down on a pallet. And it makes me think Jesus will be lifted up on a Roman cross. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can give His only Son. Jesus will be lifted up. Because of that, He can declare this man forgiven. And in verse 12, the man is healed. He picks up the pallet. He went out in the sight of everyone. And of course, they're amazed. Wouldn't we be amazed? You think you wouldn't go out of here and tell everybody you knew if you saw something like that happen here? And they glorified God. They gave God the credit for what they saw. And they said, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus healed the greater uncleanness in this man. The uncleanness of the soul. He forgave all his sins. He is clean. He is a son. And being a son, Jesus now has authority over our destiny. Mark 2.13 Authority over our destiny. Now we're going to talk about a tax collector. A tax collector would be worse than a leper. We're talking here about deep deceit. Deep corruption. Verse 13. He went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. Let me take a drink of water. I'm also thinking, wow, he's teaching another Bible study. But not in the synagogue. Notice this. Why? So the outcasts can listen. Verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi sitting in the tax booth. Levi, we know him as Matthew. He collected Roman taxes and he padded the tax bills. He cheated. He was corrupt. Everybody knew it and everybody hated him for it. The rabbis had a word for this kind of man. They called him a macher, a monster, a villain, a traitor to his own people. Never welcomes in the synagogues. Never welcome there. He's an outcast. Does Matthew care? Nah, he's rich. He's influential. He lives well. 
He lives in Capernaum. Oh, yeah, so he's heard Jesus speak. He's heard of the miracles. But Matthew sits in his booth. He's not going to approach Jesus. He doesn't have any friends who believe Jesus. He just minds his own business. Or I should say Rome's business. He has the power of Rome behind him. Basically, no matter what he does, he is untouchable. But Jesus touches him. Not physically, but he touches him. Look at, 14, look at verse 14 again. Jesus just says to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that is more amazing than the paralytic man lying on the floor getting up and walking out. He gets up and he followed him. Jesus touches something deep in this wicked traitor's heart. We can't see. I don't know humanly what moved him to follow Jesus. But we do see a life that is never, ever the same. He wrote the book that we read. He died a martyr. His destiny is forever changed. But you got to look further because something did not change. The opinion of the Pharisees and the scribes. If you go to verse 15, you see that Matthew throws a party. And many tax collectors, these would be friends of Levi or Matthew, and sinners were dining with Jesus and the disciples. And the scribes in verse 16 say, When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they say to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Whoa, wait, aha, maybe there's some doubt about their new champion. Doesn't this rabbi from Nazareth understand what's at stake here? We must be separate. These people are sinners. These religious men, these men have a huge problem because they believe they had no sin to confess. They are the righteous men. They are the sons of Abraham, circumcised and faithful Jews. And they pray to God, Lord, oh Lord God, thank you for making me a Pharisee and not a woman and not a Gentile and not, certainly not, like one of these sinners. Is there support for Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth, beginning to crack? Now that crack is going to become an unrepairable chasm. And we'll see that next week. Jesus says it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous men, but I came to call sinners. And we're all here today as sinners. We know we sin and we confess our sins before the Lord. We need trusted friends who will help us bear our burdens. We have fears. We have resentments. We bear the scars of our past sins. We bear the consequences of sin. And here's the thing. When we walk with the Lord, He constantly cleanses us. He delights to cleanse us. We see that He's compassionate. We see that He's merciful. 
we see that he has a plan as well. I want you to look at 1 John 1.7. I want to put it up here on the screen. 1 John 1.7 says an interesting thing. If we walk, that means in present tense, if we are walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You know what that means? That means we're never alone. We always have Jesus, but we have, more importantly, we have each other because you can't do this alone. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Now that's present tense as well. As we are walking, present tense, continually, He's always cleansing us from how much sin? All sin. Why do we keep needing cleansing from sin if we are walking in the light? Because we sin all the time. Even when we're walking with Him and seeking His will, we are never perfect. If we say, I am a Christian and I don't sin, we lie. That's right, Tex. We lie. That's right. The darkness is always in us. It's always a part of us until Jesus takes us to glory. But He delights now in giving us what we need every day. Every day. Forgiveness and cleansing. Look at 1 John 1.9, a verse you know. I don't even need to put it up here. You all know this. If we confess our sins. I would put in there if we confess our sins while we're walking with Him. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to what? To cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Your sins are forgiven. You are clean. Jesus wants us to succeed in this life to be blessed and to bless others. And in this process, we become forgiving people. Jesus told his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's also a little saying that says, forgiveness never changes the past. You can't go back and fix it. But it always changes the future. Jesus calls us to share our experiences our strengths, our weaknesses, our hope, our hope of the future, our hope of future glory with each other so that we can help each other diffuse our shame and break the isolation which sin imposes upon us. When we sin, we want to hide. We want to isolate ourselves. We don't want to go and confess, Jesus, I sin. But he says, no, you come and tell me. I will cleanse you. I will wash away the shame. He's washed away the guilt. And it's a process, folks. It is a process of life. It takes time. It takes a while. So what you want to do? You want to keep coming back. You want to stay around. Make a friend. Be a friend. Listen to the burden of another person. There is forgiveness in this place. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Jesus, that name above all names, we come to your altar of mercy. You are the only great high priest. You are merciful. You are compassionate. You are gracious. Touch us today in our need. Give us the courage to walk in light of our destiny. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. amen. And amen. Thank you all. And bring up the...
people who sing. God bless you. Have a blessed day.